This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you in partnership with Microsoft Azure. Hi, I'm Ross. And I'm Ollie. Where do we go from here? Welcome to Fintech Insider. I think we're going to take a deep dive into the slightly murky world of credit scoring. So um, about five years ago, I made the the rather interesting move to travel across the world and chart a new course for myself. And um, I thought I was leaving everything behind. However, on my way out, I had to cancel all of my bills and everything like that. And I ended up cancelling a phone contract. So this was part of basically closing everything down before you moved countries. Pretty much. Yeah, the responsible thing to do. So about three years later, on my grand return to the U of K, I found out as I was applying for a mortgage, that I had a county court judgment leveled against me. So a county court judgment, obviously, when you've been brought to court for non-payment of a specific amount and the judge rules against you and that sticks with you on your credit file and pretty much makes it very, very hard to get credit. Basically means that your credit score is shot to shit. Yeah, mine was. I, I, I'd hit like, oh, as effective to zero as you could possibly get. Because it was something as small as a phone contract, I would have paid it off or dealt with it at the time. I thought I'd cancelled it. I'd written letters to the phone network and everything like that just before I left. But apparently they decided to keep going. So, of course, these issues, you know, this is when they arise, right? I think people aren't necessarily, and this may come down to a sort of an awareness point, checking their credit scores all the time, right? So you only get hit with the knowledge that you've got this county court judgment when you're applying for a mortgage. So what was the process like in terms of trying to get this rectified? Well, I had to learn a lot about the system. I had to learn that there were three gatekeepers to the people that run your life. Exactly. And from a consumer point of view, you've got these huge data aggregators. They're centralized. You've got call center, Equifax, and Experian, and you're pretty much beholden to them. Yeah, and you can only communicate with them in letters, apparently. This is obviously a real issue around accessibility, being able to access what is essentially your information. You know, of course, this is something that's um, being challenged under the general data protection regulation here in the EU. But it's a point that speaks around ownership and control of data. So at the moment, the consumer doesn't really have control of that data. Sure. I think in some ways, you're handcuffed to these three companies that up until you check your credit score, you have no idea who they are or what role they have in your life. Absolutely. And I think that speaks to sort of the, the, the point around kind of opaqueness. And there's a lot of opaqueness in this space. So yeah, there's an education or a, a sort of an awareness point. Like I don't know that it's there necessarily from a consumer point of view. I also don't really know what goes into making up those scores, right? So I give these kind of centralized data aggregators access to what is really personal information. They jumble it into an algorithm and out pops a number. There's also a lot of opaqueness around how they're applied. So I don't know what, for example, um, a financial services provider, I don't know what their minimum threshold is in terms of if I meet it, I get credit. And if I, if I don't meet it, I'm pretty much out in the cold. 
Exactly. So I'd, I'd sort of walked into this black box and had to explore and figure out how it worked. And even after months and months of sort of trying to get this line on effectively my life CV erased, yeah, I still don't know how it works. And it still feels opaque. And just hearing from so many other people about their sort of issues and problems and just walls people have hit throughout their lives by just trying to battle with credit agencies that realistically you don't know what their intentions are with your data so this is key i mean it comes down to a point around business models these credit reference agencies they sell your data so you might frame that in the context of sort of potential ulterior motives but the reality is whether or not that's the case the consumer isn't in control and they don't own their data and they've no say over how their data is transferred and how their data is applied and it turns out that you're not the only person that doesn't fully understand your credit score and actually there's a whole heap of myths that surround how people understand their credit score do you, do you know your credit score? No idea, mate. No, what's... How'd you get a credit score? No. What's a credit score? The last time I looked at it, it was so bad that I haven't since, if that's an answer. No, I don't. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, credit score, yeah. yeah. Why have you never bothered to check it out? It's never really bothered me. Because I never had to apply for anything. So when I needed to put an application through for a, for a rental apartment, I thought they do it, and they never disclosed to me what I was on. Uh, my credit score is 2.3. I think it's about 540. Oh, wow, 600. I've been working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like 280. Then again, like, I don't know what I've done to make it bad. Do you, do you know what makes it better or worse, your credit score? I didn't at first, because I got my first, like, credit type thing when I was 18, and back then I barely knew anything. So I do ish now. Um, I know how to make it better and I know how long I have. So. I guess if you have more debt, you've got to score slower. Uh, worse if you fail in a credit check. Yeah. Better uh, opening an account, maintaining their limits of your credit cards. And yeah. I don't know if debit, um, direct debits and stuff make it better because I've had direct debits for years and doesn't do anything. Having credit cards. Having a phone, I think, contract. Yeah, contract, yeah, that makes better. Not having too many accounts opened. Yeah, yeah. Not applying for credit too much as well. Yeah, searches, um, yeah, not doing too many searches. God, I was trying to figure out what was going wrong with my life. I was like, oh my God, I, I, I pay all my bills, I have enough things there trying to make it better, but I've moved a few times as well. And I think maybe you have to live somewhere for a set amount of times. Yeah. The way they come to your score is some conservative way, and I think that needs redesigning. Well, it's very simplistic. All they look at is your previous addresses, and then they pull up your direct debits and stuff. Yeah. And so that's all they base it on. And it's a very, it's a catch-22 as well, when you want to get credit, and then you don't have a credit score. But in order to get credit, you need to develop a credit score. And then you go around in circles, and I've yeah. been in London for four years now, and I still have no credit score. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you pay good. So Ross, how do we make this better? Look, there are a lot of issues around credit scoring, but you know, progress is being made. A lot of companies, and especially fintechs, are working on it. Probably the first and easiest step to this is sort of better customer education. One of the big gaps that we have at the moment is around teaching 
consumers how to leverage and how to use their data to their advantage. So teaching them how to manage their money and to understand their credit scoring better is going to be key to improving the experience from a customer perspective. You know, we've seen, um, for example, ClearScore, just helping people with a nice chatbot in the app understand how to manage their money and to understand their credit scoring better. And this sort of democratization of credit scoring is definitely the first step forward. I'm Justin Bassini. I'm the CEO and co-founder of ClearScore. The, the reason that I set up ClearScore was because I thought you need to start somewhere with having a conversation with people because people don't really understand data. You know, probably everybody on this listening to this podcast is in the industry, right? We understand what data is and data exhaust and footprints, whatever. But when you talk to the average person, oh, do you understand your data footprint? Do you understand the data that's out there? Most of them are just like, well, what are you talking about? I can't be bothered, right? And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to start the conversation somewhere. And for the last 25 years, people have been told that you need to pay to see this data that is your credit report and score. So it's a great place to start and start to have a conversation with users about, we're gonna put you in control of this data, then you might give us open banking, and we're gonna put you in control of that data. And every time you put your data into the system, securely with your permission, you get better pricing out, you get a better experience. Uh, or up until we launched, you had to generally pay to get access to that data. And when we launched, we made it free. And so uh, we've now got six and a half million users, and they check their credit report and score uh, uh, with us for free. Um, and it, we keep it updated 12 times a year. So we've really uh, opened up that market. So not only is, is ClearScore making it free to access your credit score, they're also really keen to educate their customers on what actually is a credit score and what goes into their credit profile. Um, and so we spend a lot of time, you talked about training. We use the word coaching. Um, and we've created these chatbots and quite a lot of content um, to try and help people make better decisions. And actually, the whole product is, uh, for anybody who's used the product, what we hope to do when people use the product is that they feel a sense of calm. Um, and so we're not about the hard sell. We're not about, like, go buy this credit card. Da, da, da. We're all about, like, come here, understand your credit profile get a bit of education, some coaching if you want. And then hopefully next time you're in the market, you'll come and you'll make a better decision by shopping with ClearScore. And that's really why we focus on content. There is also just a lot of fear that surrounds credit scores as well as debt, just more generally. Um, and one was a guy, a, a youngish guy called Callum, who got um, offered credit when he was 18, which often happens. You know, you turn 18, you get the envelope through, get this credit card, and then you start to spend. Um, and he got himself into a reasonable amount of uh, trouble. You know, he built quite big balances that he couldn't manage. Uh, his credit score was pretty poor. Um, and then he discovered ClearScore. And through the process of sort of engaging with us and engaging with his credit report and understanding how to rethink his finances, um, He's managed to pay down those balances now and he's in much more control. And I often think people who are in trouble with debt, they don't realize that the, the first thing you should do is you should go and talk to the people you owe money to. You know, they have a uh, regulatory responsibility to treat you fairly. 
to, to try and be on your side. And people are often very frightened. And so actually a lot of what we do is try and give people confidence to be able to pick the phone up and have that conversation and be able to take control of the situation. Um, and then we've had other examples. So while where, coaching um, is quite a noble endeavor, I think it only helps customers understand the process better. It doesn't take away the power that those those three black box companies have. Yeah, and I mean, there is a, a big difference between being informed and, and really being in control. You know, and not only that, but those who've never had credit or younger people who haven't had a long history of having credit, the current system that only looks backwards and only looks at your credit history unfairly biases against those types of consumers. So, you know, we talked about making this better. Maybe one of the ways that we can improve the existing model is by pulling in information from other sources and using that to supplement the information that the credit reference agencies hold to build a more accurate credit risk profile. So where do we go from here? We've explored ways of exposing the current system, but the next step is to augment the system. Cabbage, a new small business lender based out of Atlanta, have rolled out a hybrid model where credit scores and eligibility to receive a loan are not solely based on data analysis by lending agents, but also from their recommendations and experience of you as a customer to positively impact your scores. By adding new data to the traditional methods of calculating credit scores, they are occupying the middle ground between the status quo and rewriting the system entirely. One of the things that's most interesting about this hybrid model is that, okay, it recognizes that the the information, that the credit scores that you get from a credit reference agency probably isn't as accurate as it could be. In many cases, it's really just a sort of inaccurate proxy. It doesn't take into account you know, lots of your bills, for example, rent, you know, this mightn't sound all that revolutionary right now. It probably sounds like a small step in the right direction. But the reality is this is actually starting to chip away at the centralization of the three credit bureaus that we talked about. Um, and this actually is huge potential to transform. So you combine this with PSD2 legislation that's now in place. Suddenly, providers can access much richer customer data by you know accessing customer accounts for example and actually can start to build this master identity profile you know realistically looking forward this could be based on on tens of thousands of relative data points looking at things like behavior for example unique needs and really taking it down to that customer level this is going to help to deliver fairer pricing around credit because you've got more accurate data, which will create more accurate risk profiles, which will lead to cheaper credit. Combine this with GDPR, and suddenly you've got like a complete about turn around ownership and control of customer data, and individually permissioned data is really going to sort of accelerate that erosion of the role of those centralized data aggregators. I think we're already starting to see the groundwork being laid for this from some of the new credit reference agencies like Credit Kudos and AIR. In many ways, the concept of making a decision about your credit outcome or your loan application was always seen to be this thing that the bank is doing. Consumers almost cut out from that equation. This is Anish Varma, CEO of AIR. And that 
that's an interesting reality. But if you were to redesign it with all the knowledge we have of what happens today with direct connectivity, smartphones, consumers being able to participate as decisions are being done, you wouldn't design it that way. You would almost say, okay, there's more data, more context I can get from the consumer. Can that help me evaluate their process or their application in a much more richer, intelligent way? If you don't know, who do you go back to? You go back to the source. And the source is the consumer. Nobody knows more about you than you. But that data is so rich, so relevant, so deep that the decisions that we're able to now help lenders make are way better than most of the traditional decisions they were reaching. We believe there's a better world that exists out there in terms of how consumers engage with credit, as long as they get to engage with the lenders directly as well. You know, credit's always seen as this dangerous thing, like it's like playing with fire. You, you sort of take it on and, you know, oh, there's always a negative thing that happens. But, you know, credit done well can be great. You can buy a house. You know, most people buy a house for a mortgage and a mortgage is a form of credit. You can lease a car. You, it's the second largest purchase in your life. You'll never do it without some sort of financing. And downstream as well, like paying for college, paying for education, paying for furthering your life. There's other reasons as well. Sometimes for medical, you need to have like an injection of cash. So it's a really important tool. Yes, it has a lot of downstream impact, but if you get it right, it can really further your life. So that's been our core mission is how do you make it work so that the consumer gets to the outcome they care about and the lender gets to the outcome they care about. It's not about sort of abusing the lender in the myth. You know, they're there as a for-profit company in many cases. So how do you make sure that they get the outcome, the consumer gets the outcome? You know, in many ways, the, sort of the research was the enabler, but, um, you know, there's it's a little bit of rethinking how the process of issuing credit almost works, right? It's still like we're, we're working in the age-old era where a loan is sent out by a bank and it's sort of like the ship has sailed and it's going off and we have no idea what's going to happen. But you know, again, we live in a world with interconnected sort of devices. And if you sort of think about the evolution of a phone to a smartphone, what, what changed was you, you sort of rethought what a phone could do for you. Same way if you sort of rethink how credit works, you know, it is, yes, there's an issuance of a loan and there's evaluation. And if you sort of stay connected with the user through the journey of the loan, you get insight. And the consumer is also incentivized. The consumer is a stakeholder, a very important stakeholder, because we, we want them to trust the service that Air is providing. We, we want them to know that we're not out to sort of uh, abuse the data that they're providing us or abuse their relationship. And like I said, right, very few people in this credit ecosystem have fought for the consumer and through the evolution of it. It's always been pro-lender. You know, one of our values of the company is how do you create win-win outcomes? So yeah. we do sort of very carefully think about every product design, every partnership, every even every employee we hire, but how are they thinking through creating this win-win outcomes, reach a wider set of customers, and at the same time, ensure that consumers who are getting loans from you are able to get to repay them properly. So the consumers also have a positive outcome at the end of it, right? So far, we've only spoken about consumer credit, but you know the same issues apply when business owners apply for credit too. Huge amounts of data are taken with no insight into the business proposition itself and someone far removed from the business just takes a look at the data and makes a decision. You know, this has created a real issue for SMEs in particular trying to apply for credit with the industry average at six months for a no and, and, and nine months for a yes. So it's interesting to see the UK's first fintech unicorn, Oak North, taking a sort of novel approach to this. After a digital application, they make applicants come in and pitch in person to an internal credit committee. Interestingly, Oak North CEO Rishi Coslett 
has told the show before how meeting with applicants in person can really change the decision-making yeah, process. Level you can afford to lose, right? So whenever you're lending, it, to me, it's a combination of what is the business, what are all the financials, what are the industry dynamics, but also who are the people behind it, who are the entrepreneurs behind it, who's the management behind it, et cetera. And not factoring in that element, in my view, is missing a very significant portion of the decision-making. So the fact that we have our clients actually come into credit committee has meant that we've had deals where actually on paper, we were all for the deal, right? And we go into credit committee and unanimously, we say, we're not doing this deal, right? And we've actually had the reverse where when it comes through credit committee, it's been a weak proposition, right? But it's still worth hearing, but, but, but not the strongest. And you meet the management and you say, these guys understand their business, right? They know the drivers, they're on top of it. And you're like, this is, these are good people to lend to, right? These are, these are money makers, right? Opposed to not. So taking that out, again, is taking the, the sort of computer says no approach, right? And for us, it was uh, what we think was really interesting. We've taken machine learning and put that together with a very traditional approach, which is actually having the customer come in and meeting the customer. And to us, it's that mix, which is incredibly interesting, rather than saying, actually, we're going to be purely digital, purely automated decisioning, because that's not solving the problem. Because if you do that, fundamentally, you're not going to end up any different from all the other lenders out there. So Ross, a few of these companies are taking baby steps while others are taking like giant leaps forward to try and like, let's call it destroy those three black boxes. But what does the bigger picture in the future look like? Will credit scoring become easier, like more transparent and fairer for like both consumers and customers? Or are we going to head down this sort of like darkest timeline version of credit scoring that black mirror that i can rate you three stars and you're not allowed to go in this coffee shop or or that sort of like chinese social scoring that's um sort of messed up people that have even just moved to china yeah so the chinese social scoring i mean just from a social standpoint what a weird development right the fact that you can display your credit score on your dating profile and people can use it when they make a decision about whether or not they want to go out with you. That sort of boggles the mind. I don't think that's the future of credit scoring. You know, what's really encouraging is there's a lot of very cool initiatives that already are sort of driving at the heart of some of the key issues that credit scoring creates. So one of the issues with the existing model around credit scoring is around financial exclusion. So the sort of opacity that we've talked about that surrounds credit scoring and the way it's applied by financial services providers, what we tend to see is this sort of walled garden effect where either you meet the minimum credit scoring requirements for that financial services provider and you're in or you're out if you don't. So we've seen a lot of cool initiatives from the likes of Monies kind of driving it, fixing that issue. The education point that we talked about, obviously, we've heard from ClearScore and what those guys are doing. How can we move that forward? So are we looking at, you know, the this idea of just making it more immersive? So don't make it feel like, as a consumer, I'm being educated. Maybe gamify it. You know, take me into an environment where it's interactive, it's super fun, and actually I don't even feel like I'm learning anymore. Um, those sorts of things are going to make a difference when you're considering the existing 
model. What if we move beyond the existing model? So, you know, there's so many exciting technologies out there. So what if the credit models of the future, what if we move away from credit bureaus entirely? What if we have something that's, you know, instantaneous, that's predictive, so pulls on AI and machine learning to, you know, understand where I'm going to stand financially in a week's time or in a month's time, what are my specific needs going to be? And, you know, what if I've just got this sort of bespoke availability of credit based on my unique needs so really taking it down to that customer level uh, you know eliminating that sort of one size fits all credit score i think that the combination of of regulation and technology has such transformative potential in this space i mean you know we've talked throughout about how psd2 can create this sort of direct feed of much richer information directly from the consumer to the lender you know obviously gdpr hands back the ownership of that data to the consumer themselves so already we're starting to disintermediate the credit bureaus themselves these sort of centralized data aggregators really what that does is it you know kind of creates this new world of lending so no longer is the lender or the credit bureau at the center of this universe with the consumer floating around what it does is it puts the consumer at the center of the universe and it means that they've got more control and lenders now can start to design products that are contextualized for consumers in a way that really suits their need on a customer level i think ultimately as well this better flow of sort of richer information from the consumer to the provider. We've touched on this, but it's going to help create better risk profiles, which is going to ultimately lead to fairer pricing, which I think is really just going to be a win for consumers and also a win for providers. This episode was produced by Laura Watkins, Petra Barisha, and myself, and edited by Michael Bailey. My co-host today was Ross Gallagher. Thanks to Oak North Rishi Kostler, Anish Farmer from Air, Justin Bassini from ClearScore. Thanks also to the good people of WeWork and the 11FS office for letting us harass you about credit. 11FS transform businesses and frankly, get shit done. To find out what they can do for you, email hello at 11FS.com. Thanks for listening. If we hooked you with this episode, please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast client. If you loved it, why not write a review? We love reading those reviews. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Tune in next week for Ollie's first recording fully dressed.